In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My paternal grandfather was a professor of history at the University of Hawaii for many years. As a historian, he loved stories. When we would visit their home in Honolulu, he would hold my brother and me hostage at the dinner table for hours after the last plate was clear, telling and retelling stories from his life. I can still remember my legs affixing to the pleather seats in the sweet Hawaiian air, longing to be released so I could go play out on the lanai, which looked over Diamond Head Crater and on to the Pacific Ocean. But alas, there was no release until well after dark. My grandpa's research specialty was Southeast Asia, particularly Indonesia, a country that had just gained its independence from Holland when he was beginning his work. Now this was a perfect point of focus for my grandfather because his family had emigrated from Holland to America in the early 20th century. And he went on to serve in the South Pacific in the Second World War, so Indonesia became a perfect communion of his life story. And his stories around the table would often come from his time living and working in both those countries. Stories about how his colorful family from Holland used to make him dress up like a little Dutch boy to sell tulip bulbs in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Stories about how my father ended up being born in a tiny Seventh-day Adventist hospital in Bandung in rural Indonesia while my grandpa was there doing research for his dissertation, a point my grandmother never let him forget. <laughs> the Netherlands remained something of a second home for my grandfather throughout his life. He would return regularly to visit family and do research. And a good portion of his time there was spent in a small town called Leiden. Leiden is famous for two things, its world-class university and for being the hometown of, 17th, uh, hometown of 17th century artistic legend Rembrandt van Rijn. It was from Leiden that Rembrandt helped launch what became known as the Golden Age of Dutch painting. And there is a Rembrandt museum around the corner from the university that my grandfather would frequent, kindling his lifelong love of the Dutch masters. A love, I like to think, I have inherited. Apart from their aesthetic abilities, one of the things I find so appealing about these Dutch masters is that they focused on scenes from everyday life. This was a major divergence from the almost exclusively religious subject matter of the medieval period and from the lifestyles of the rich and famous that constituted much of the artwork of the Renaissance. But coinciding, as this golden age did, with the age of reformation in Europe and the more egalitarian outlook that it promoted, Rembrandt and his contemporaries intentionally took as their subjects the lives of the average Joe and Jane, the peasants, the farmers, the tradesmen. They elevated quotidian domesticity and honored it as a locus of beauty. 
They found the extraordinary in the ordinary. And in their hands, normal life, average life, simple life, boring life, became remarkable, revelatory, even transcendent. Thanks to a few deft brushstrokes and inventive uses of color, shadow, and light. As we move deeper into this season of Easter, and we hear more and more stories of Jesus' resurrection appearances, I am always struck that one of the most remarkable things about them is how unremarkable they are. Jesus slips into scenes of normal life and makes them shine for a moment with the glory of his presence before slipping right back out again. Now, if I had just trampled down death under my feet, I would want a bit more of a victory parade, I think. <laughs> Trumpets, crowds, you know, a, a whole big show. But that's not how Jesus goes about revealing himself. He shows up on the side of an empty road to greet the Marys on their way. He sneaks in and out of that locked upper room with Thomas and Nary so much as a nod. He just appears on the seashore one morning while the disciples are out fishing and starts cooking breakfast. And today, he shows up on the road to Emmaus. You know the story, I hope, two disciples are out for a walk and talk, trying to process all the tumultuous events of the last 72 hours, and as they go along, a stranger sidles up to them and falls into step. A gentle inquiry gets him into the conversation, and he starts to connect the scriptural dots for them. As he talks, their confusion and their grief begin to dissipate, so they ask him to stay for supper. Couldn't have been much of a feast they were inviting him to, but it is there, around a humble table, in the ordinary act of taking, blessing, breaking, giving, that their eyes are opened, and for a moment, they glimpse him, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, Emmanuel, God, still with us. And then just like that, he vanishes from their sight. He slips in and slips out, slips in to our ordinary lives and makes them for a moment anything but. Interestingly, Rembrandt painted two versions of this Emmaus story and left us two hand-drawn sketches as well. Even for an artist as prolific as he was, this denotes a certain fixation. Perhaps it was the mix of the ordinary and the extraordinary in this story that kept drawing him back to. The settings of both these paintings are modest. Small tables, dank, surrounding simple meals, Rembrandt's trademark use of light and shadow. The first painting from 1628 happens to be my favorite of the two. Jesus is illuminated from behind as a silhouette. 
leaning back, almost as if he's laughing. One disciple cowers, his eyes wide with wonder, and the other falls to his knees, disappearing in the shadows beneath the table. And meanwhile, in the other room, we see a woman cleaning up the dishes. The second painting of the scene comes from 20 years later, 1648, and is the more famous of the two. It's more refined than the first version, and equally interesting. The disciples seem to be just starting to recognize who their mysterious companion is. One is raising his hands to his face in fascination or fear, we can't quite tell. And the other is shifting in his seat, his gaze transfixed on Jesus, and you can almost hear him asking, could it really be? And meanwhile, a young man, their waiter, stands hovering over the table, delivering their food, completely oblivious to what is going on right in front of his face. <coughs> in this way, these paintings are similar to the stained glass window we have right here of this scene, right at the end of the line. We have the disciples pulled out of their seats in shock and awe, while attendants stand by oblivious, unmoved, unaware of what is happening right in front of their very eyes. How interesting these attempts to capture this moment of recognition, of revelation, of resurrection in the middle of mundanity. How interesting to see the mix of fear and awe and wonder in the bodies and the eyes of the disciples who have had Jesus with them for hours, but didn't even know it. And how interesting that both paintings and our window include others in this scene who completely miss what is happening right in front of them. I think sometimes we too miss the resurrected Christ right under our noses. If we're lucky, we might be like the disciples and catch a glimpse of him, but more often we are like the servants, completely oblivious to his presence. And we miss him because we are looking in the wrong place for resurrection. We are looking for the flash and the bang and the whack. And while we're waiting for Jesus to make a big show about turning up, he's sneaking in and sneaking out of our everyday lives, imbuing them like a Dutch master with a touch of transcendence that goes unnoticed unless we're looking for it. Jesus knows it is in the drudgery of everyday existence that it's hardest for the spirit of resurrection to shine, so that's where he comes first. After all, if the resurrection promises of peace and love and comfort are going to be with us all our days, then they have to be with us all our days. So Christ appears not in triumph and great glory, but quietly in a garden, on the road, at the table. Because that is where we are most of the time. And if he wants to be with us, then that's where we need him to be. 
our task, then, as we seek him out, is to open our eyes and our hearts to the possibility of his presence even in, especially in, the ordinary, the everyday. For if we can do that, then our normal life, our average life, our simple life, our boring life, can be transformed, can become remarkable, revelatory, and maybe even transcendent. It took us a while to organize the funeral for my grandfather when he died. He passed suddenly, collapsing in an art studio where he had been taking classes in etching as a late-in-life hobby. Who knows, maybe it was Rembrandt, whose etchings were prized even more than his paintings during his lifetime, that gave him the idea. Anyway, with them being in Hawaii and my family on the East Coast and my aunt and her family in Hong Kong, gathering everyone in Honolulu took some time. But eventually we organized a memorial service for his friends and family, and the service was very nice. It had music and readings and reflections. There were pictures of uh, happy times throughout my grandfather's life and a generous reception afterwards where his friends graciously offered their condolences. But I must confess... That's not where the resurrected Christ appeared to me that day. No, he didn't come until later, after all the guests had departed and we packed up all the leftovers in our rental cars and drove back up the mountainside to that little house overlooking paradise. And it was there in that dingy old kitchen around that tiny table from which I had so often longed to flee when we dumped the canapes on the paper plates and squeezed in some of us sitting in those same sticky seats that I had so long, so long ago felt affixed to my legs, others leaning against ancient cabinets, all of us breaking bread and telling and retelling those same old stories. It was there that the peace and the comfort and the love that the resurrected Christ comes bearing slipped quietly into our hearts. We laughed a lot. We cried a little. And in the corner of that crowded kitchen, not in the big show of the memorial service, but in a simple place, a normal place, a boring place, it was there that our eyes were opened and he appeared. Amen. Amen.